52 Sketches, Episode 12, Musician and Activist, Eric Dozier. Welcome to 52 Sketches, a podcast about creativity and creative practices. Here's your host, Rob Head. Welcome to the 52 Sketches podcast. I am your host, Rob Head. We are here again to talk about living a creative life creative practices, habits, strategies for making the world a more wonderful, more beautiful place. Today, we are delighted to be speaking with Eric Dozier, musician, recording artist, songwriter, choir director, and race unity activist. He describes himself as a cultural activist, anti-racism educator, and itinerant blues preacher, leveraging the power of music to promote healing, justice, and racial reconciliation. He has served as the musical director for the world-famous Harlem Gospel Choir, the award-winning Children's Theater Company of New York City, and has been a featured artist at the United Nations. He currently serves as a museum educator for the forthcoming National Museum of African-American Music in Nashville, Tennessee, and has recently launched the Young People's Freedom Song Initiative, an interactive musical exploration designed to engage young people in revolutionary music making. He is a graduate of Duke University and Duke Divinity School and is currently pursuing a doctorate at the University of Tasmania, researching the effects of Black gospel music on communities outside of the Black church. So welcome, Eric Dozier. Hey, hey, hey. How y'all doing? (laughs) It's been great. It's great. So good to have you on on the podcast. So uh, just want to check in. How's the the pandemic treating you? Um, How's the family? Everybody surviving? I love questions like that. How, how's the pandemic a, treating you? <laughs> yeah, it's well, it's a risky thing, you know, because a lot of it us is. have lost people, and it's tough. Yeah. yeah. Well, we, you know, we, we, you know, we've had our share of loss, uh, like most folks, uh, but we're, you know, we're making our way through it as a family has to do, and it's, I mean, it, it crazy times, crazy times. Mm-hmm. But, but you know, like I, when I think about all of this, you know, this too shall pass. Uh, and it's, it, it reminds me of this old spiritual, uh, that we used to sing in, uh, at our church, the storm is passing over. Hallelujah. So, Mm. you know, I I think I, hopefully we're coming out on the other end of that. Um, you know, I always tell people to just keep singing through it. You know, we'll, we'll Mm. make our way. Yeah. Yeah. Describing it as a storm really helps me frame it with a little bit of, uh, maybe there's a, yeah. Silver lining on those clouds somewhere, right, right, um, right. So I, I want to back up to your to your childhood and uh, you're growing up. You mentioned uh, you know coming up in the church and you know tell us about where you're from and uh, how you how you came up and and you know how did you get into a creative life? Did you was that just in you know part of your existence or how how did that all happen? Yeah, so I you know I grew up in a small rural town in in Tennessee by the name of Bakewell. Bakewell, and, Tennessee. Uh, yeah, Southeast Tennessee. You know, I'm a country boy. You know, I grew up in mm. the country. And, um, we hear and, that. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. And so, you know, as far as like my, my creative life beginning, you know, I can't really, it's hard to say when it started because I'd always been surrounded by music. Um, mm. You know, I, I'll often say that I was, uh, you know, I took I took my first my first degree from the uh, the Conservatorium of Black Religion and Rhythm, which was the 
uh, Mount Annie Baptist Church. <laughs> mm-hmm. And uh, and so, you know, my family is really responsible for for my early kind of patchwork music education, which consisted of, you know, playing the piano at at that church from probably five years old until I left Bakewell, but wow. also being able to, you know, come home and my dad had a, you know, he played all kind of music. You know, I remember mm-hmm. listening to Memphis Slim play the piano and that was kind of my first introduction to, wow, you know, what, what in the world is that instrument? And then, you know, my parents eventually bought me a little plastic piano. And so they would put that Memphis Slim record Broadway boogie on (laughs) and, uh, and And I would just, and I would hit it, man. I would just get on that piano. (laughs) It was like, you know, it was like just hitting the on button and I would be banging on that piano. And then one day, you know, I, I look out our window and my dad is coming up the driveway uh, with my grandfather's truck and there's a piano strapped to the back, oh, like a real oh, one. Oh, right. So, I, so I'm looking at this piano. He, he gets it into the house and then he sits down and starts playing. That's the first time I had seen him. I didn't even know he played the piano. Right. Mm, right. And, uh, and so I just watched it, used to watch his hands and just do what he did. And, you know, he played blues, gospel blues is what he played. Mm-hmm. And uh, and that's kind of how the piano started. And, you know, and then for many years, I just, you know, I directed a choir, work with my mom, who was the choir director. Mm-hmm. And um, that's that's kind of mm-hmm. how I got it. Like, I don't really have a formal music education. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I mean, you know, but, but you know, and, and, and it's funny, like when I describe the, the black church as a conservatorium, you know, people kind of <laughs> yeah. look at me like, yeah. but but I mean, listen. That institution produced Marvin Gaye, Ray Charles, Stevie Wonder, Aretha Franklin, Gladys Knight, mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. Whitney Houston, Sissy Houston, Donny Hathaway, Billy Preston. I mean, you name it, you know, mm-hmm. like how mm-hmm. many other conservatoriums or conservatories can say that they've produced that many genre defining artists. <laughs> and then on, and then and then literally on the on the other end of the spectrum, you had people like Paul Robeson, Jesse Norman. Kathleen Battle, um, Ciceretta mm. Jones, you know, all these people that were that were also definitive personalities in classical, um, mm-hmm. uh, you, you know, music, art music. You know, they were, yeah. Yeah, art music. Right. Uh, Fisk Jubilee singers, uh, you know, all of the HBCU quartet groups, uh, mm-hmm. the Golden Gate Quartet, Sam Cooke. I mean, like, come on. and 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 so you know so you know it's a a proven it's a proven methodology let's say yeah i mean i I mean it i mean it really is and says a lot about a theory of music that really has been able to incorporate different styles and genres Mm. and uh and so a lot of my work really spins around helping people to see that it's not just kind of a cultural expression of music, but it is a musical methodology. It is, it is a particular Mm -hmm. theory of Mm -hmm. music that has um, undergirding values. And, and, you know, and my contention is when we can actually bring these values to bear uh, in multicultural gatherings and situations that that is the value system that we need to bring the world to Mm. a deeper recognition of the oneness of humanity 
Ah, you're, um, you're, all your all your work sort of makes sense in that context. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I mean, you know, you, you know, there's a lot of intersectionality that that happens there. You know, it mm-hmm. happened from growing up in a place where I was singing. You know, he's got the whole world in his hands, and I've got shoes. You got shoes. All of God's children got shoes. Or this little light of mine. Mm-hmm, you know, mm-hmm. uh, I'm gonna let it shine. All these different mm-hmm. things, and and it just kind of synthesized into this you know, beautiful experience. Eric, you're, you're reminding me of a Ted talk. I'm pretty sure it was Victor Wooten, the bass player. Oh yeah. uh, Yeah. Yeah. Was describing his experience, you know, uh, how he, you know, people are like, you you know, he's arguably one of the best bass players in the world. Uh, Oh yeah, uh, definitely. And, and people ask him, how did you learn? You know? And, and his description is basically he learned music. Like he learned language, you know, it just, he was just immersed in it. And, and he described being, I don't know, two or three years old and his older siblings are jamming in his house and he's, you know, two or three doesn't know what's going on, but they're like, just stick a bass in his hand, you know? Right. Uh, And, and he just, from there, just, you know, it wasn't, nobody said this is hard. (laughs) No. They said join, you know? (laughs) Yeah. And, and, and nobody said that you have to go through, you know, four to, eight years of schooling to know how to do it. Right. Right. right or that, right. or that you had to look at a piece of paper with little black dots on it. And that's right. music, you know, cause that's mm-hmm. not music. Like that's a representation of music. Right. You it's know, one style of representation of music. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah yeah, yeah. yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Beautiful. So, so how did you go from, from your small town from what I understand from your bio, you went off to Duke University at some point. And what did you study there? Did you did you continue yeah, my, to do music, or you did other things? How, no, how did that work you out? know, I, I, I when I went to Duke, I went there as a biomedical and electrical engineer. Hmm. You know, I okay. got accepted into the engineering school there, and uh, uh, which you know, my high school, you know, I was I was into like computer science and mm-hmm. and and you know physics and chemistry and you know i was a, i was i was a nerd you know yeah yeah you were you were in ap apcs and all, AP all, all, physics. all of those like i took all of the ap's and you know took five years uh-huh. of latin and all that nonsense <laughs> i only made it to three man before i couldn't yeah yeah we ran but, out of you know, other students but but you know it 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 helps with that sat though you know so oh yeah 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 for sure but, and then they and that they, they notice at Duke. Oh yeah, no, definitely, <laughs> definitely. And, and so, you know, like I went there as, as an engineering student mm-hmm. and just, you know, I just kind of felt like, wow, that's a lot of time in front of screens and working mm-hmm. with numbers and that I preferred to just do something that was more akin to, um, you know, community. And, and, and mm-hmm. so I switched my, I switched my major to public policy uh, okay. With a focus on youth, race, and education, and you know, and then also took some some religion and theology classes and African American history classes along the way, and okay. end up you know graduating with with that degree and went on to the Divinity School at Duke, um, and mm-hmm. did a master's in theological studies, which focused on um, uh, you know comparative religions. I actually wrote my master's thesis on the uh the rise of islam in america and mm-hmm. uh you know it was it was interesting like writing that 
as a Baha'i in a Methodist <laughs> divinity school, you know, but, but, you know, th- I always kept doing my music. So, you know, throughout my time at Duke, I was the, um, the musical director for the modern black mass choir at Duke university. Okay. And, um, modern uh, black mass choir. Yeah. And, okay. uh, and so, so we, that was like Sunday services. Well, now we, you know, we did things all over the city and, uh, oh, you know, okay. it, which, which eventually led to us getting a grant from the president of the, um, the university to go to the Czech Republic, uh, after, you know, kind of after everything over there kind of opened up, like in the, in the nineties, Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, so that was really an experience that really kind of fortified uh, a particular trajectory for me. Um, mm. You know, we were there and um, we were doing this song that my great, um, yeah, my great grandmother taught me, uh, hold on just a little while longer, everything will be all right. And we were mm. singing that song in a, in a, in a cathedral in Prague. Or it was, it, yeah, it was in Prague. <laughs> and, and we were singing this song, and it was, you know, all African-American choir, college uh-huh, kids. Uh-huh. And right. um, and so we sing this song, and it the, the way the song is, really simple song, but it says, uh, hold on just a little while longer, everything will be all right. And so we sing this song, this, this lady comes up, check uh check lady comes up uh-huh. and uh didn't speak english but we had a we had an interpreter there she takes mm-hmm. off her rosary and she hands it to me um mm. and uh and she's and and you know before we perform the song i always talk about how my great grandmother taught it to me she says mm. you know i know i know your grandmother and what she was saying is you know i knew i know what your grandmother was singing about Mm. And she gave me this rosary that she had had held for mm. 40 years, you know, um, uh, you know, from the time that they closed the churches until that day. Mm. And she said, I know your grandmother. And that's when I began to really realize that this music um, mm. that, that I'd been reared in, you know, really uh, is is for, you know, it's for the world. It, it speaks in a universal way to the human condition. Yeah. Oh, it, it really does. And, uh, you know, and it's, and it's accessible beyond language. And so that's, mm. that's really for me where, you know, really understanding the oneness of humanity was really solidified for me. Uh, mm. when, when I realized the depth of the communication that was, you know, it wasn't just the communication between me and that, and that, and that, uh, that, that, that older Czech woman that was there, mm-hmm. but it, but I facilitated a conversation between my, you know, my ancestors all the way through to her. Mm. And so it's, it was something that was even beyond what I could have done. You know, mm. I really felt like, you know, and I, and I always tell people, uh, you know, I never say, oh, yeah, I'm from Chattanooga. Or I'm from Nashville. You know, so the big cities in Tennessee. I always right, say I'm from right. Bakewell. You know, I always <laughs> introduce them to my family, you know, because uh-huh. my family really put that in me before even having this encounter with this with with this woman who had lived through the, the shutting down of the churches and 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 lived through religious persecution right. and all these different things, you know. Yeah. 
Yeah, there's something almost mystical about the power of music from Southeast Tennessee to speak to, you know, a, a woman in, uh, you know, sort of post, what do they call it? The, post Iron Curtain, you yeah, know. Yeah, post Iron Curtain, you know, <laughs> you uh, know yeah. Prague. Yeah. Right, right, <laughs> wow. right. Yeah. And there was, there was, uh, I can only imagine, I have been, uh, I have traveled a little bit in, in Eastern Europe and just the, the collective cultural trauma from that period uh, is not to mention the, all the traumas before it. Right. Right. It is, was, you know, palpable. Um, right. Right. And, um, and I can uh, imagine how electric, you know, black gospel music was in that moment. Um, oh yeah. I mean, they, you know, they, they love that music, but mm-hmm. I, you know, I think it was, it was so much more than that. I think that they, they just resonated with the story. Mm-hmm. I mean, because yeah. it is a, you know, I liken it to the story of, of, you know, Moses bringing people into the promised land and liberating them from, from captivity in Egypt. I mean, that mm-hmm. if, if, if there's any story that is indicative of the, or that, that, that could be referred to as the meta narrative of, black people in America, it would be go down Moses, you know, tell mm. Pharaoh, let my people go. Um, yeah. and, uh, and there are so many people that, you know, because we live in a world that is really fraught with oppression and exploitation and, you know, and, and so many things that there are so many people that resonate with that story. I mean, when you think about, even the state of the world right now, the disparities between be, you know, between the wealthy and, and, and the poor and all of the racism, you know, that, uh, that is manifesting itself globally, uh, you know, as well as locally. I mean, there are so many people that identify with let my people go, you know, as, as opposed to, Hey, you know, everything is cool. Everything is great. You know what I'm saying? (laughs) You know, and and so, you know, and I think that what black music carries is it just carries this, this particular balance of joy and pain and hope and despair and, you know, uh, Mm. sorrow and jubilation that it really is, uh, more, um, uh, you know, offers a, a a great descriptor of the human condition. Just does. Yeah. 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 Fantastic. So ha- having had this realization and this sort of epiphany that this music can speak universally, where do you go from there? Like, how did you get from there to, I don't know, the children's theater in, in New York city or what did you do next? Like, how did you take yeah. that realization and turn it into some kind of career? Well, you know, it was it was funny. Like I um I moved to South Carolina. Okay. Uh for a while after I uh graduated from from you know, after I finished Duke and uh went to work at the Lewis Gregory Baha'i Institute. You're our uh, second guest that's done a stint there. Uh Kevin Genus uh was our oh. first <laughs> first podcast guest and he uh he he spent a year there, yeah. Oh yeah, yes. now you know I was I was down there for for quite a bit, helping with some community development type of things. Mm-hmm. You okay. know, I I started working there, and then after I left there, I went to um, to Columbia, South Carolina. Okay, and I got a job working with the uh, organization Big Brothers Big Sisters. That yeah, I mean, I'm sure most most of your yeah. audience has heard of them. 
Mm-hmm. And um, and so my boss comes in one day and she says, well, Eric, you know, you look really bored at this job. I said, well, OK. <laughs> uh, and, and she and she just asked me, you know, what I what I would I like to do more with my music and the agency, because what one of the issues that that these agencies you know, like this, these matching agencies have a lot of times is when the, you know, everybody wants a younger kid Mm -hmm. Uh, and the teenagers, you know, if, if they come into the system too late, you know, they kind of, they, they, you know, they don't get paired as easily as a younger child would get paired. And so she, she asked me if I would like to do something with my music. Mm. This is sort of in the tween ages? Yeah, like, yeah, yeah. Well, it was, you know, these were teenagers. I would say anywhere from, you know, probably 13 to 17 or 18, like, okay. you, know, uh, you know, junior high, high school kids. Mm-hmm. Um, and, uh, you know, after that, she and I said, well, sure. And so we, we wrote a grant uh, to do this thing called the Dream Builders Club. And we took the older kids and gathered them and helped them um, uh, write music and put together a musical that was uh, that was a, a composite uh, sketch, a creative composite sketch of their lives that was centered around four kids, and so all of their stories were incorporated and mm. uh, and made a part of the lives of these four kids that were on this this journey growing up and we helped them, you know, we composed original music. They, they did choreography, they developed the script and, uh, you know, with the help of, of myself and, a and another colleague who was a more theatrical person, a theater okay. person. Uh-huh. And, uh, and then it just kind of started from there. And, um, after that, i partnered with a couple of friends of mine, you know, Carol Williams and Dilsey Davis, okay. uh, to start one human family music workshops and, and, uh, which is a national chapter choir chapter organization that uses these forms of African-American choral music to facilitate frank and honest conversations about race in America mm. And so we started that organization and it grew and, and, uh, you know, we took a couple of international trips to, you know, to Europe and, and, uh, and Mm -hmm. then I ended up, um, uh, you know, as, as that organization was evolving, ended up going to New York, uh, after meeting Mayor Mansouri, who started the children's theater company. And that's ended up going there to work with them. Um, got an offer to work with the Harlem gospel choir, um, and, uh, you know, it just kind of, you know, it just kind of blossomed from there from, you wow. know, my boss at big brothers, big sister saying, well, maybe you should try to do something more with your music. And it, it, it what it, what it did is it actually gave me an incubator to explore ways to bring my creative side, my yeah. music, my gifts to bear on yeah. racism in America, which eventually grew into kind of a career doing that. <laughs> right, right. Well, so, so you know what? By the way, inextricable. Yeah. Okay. My, Go ahead. So, so, some folks have come in. Uh, <laughs> they, <laughs> right. they they just they just kind of walked into the room. Say hi, Worthington. Hi. 
That's Hello. my daughter. <laughs> and uh, and my wife Beautiful. is here. And we, you, you know, they, they asked me to pop in and do something. And we're at the Baha'i school uh, that is happening uh, in, in uh, with the kids in Nashville. You know, we can't let go of Nashville. <laughs> but, but, but would you mind if we shared a little song with you all really quickly? That sounds great. Don't let us interrupt that. Yeah. Okay. So let me see here. Let me turn this. So the, the, this is a song, you know, just so that, you know, this also kind of ties into, you know, what I said earlier about growing up and, you know, in Bakewell. You know, one of the first songs that you learn growing up in, in African-American church is Jesus Loves the Little Children. And so I want to I want to share that with you all uh, and we'll see what happens. OK, <laughs> <laughs> you ready, Worthington? Jesus loves little children, all the children of the world. Red and yellow. Red and yellow, black and white, they are precious in his sight. Jesus loves the little children of the world. One more time. Jesus loves. Jesus loves the little children, all the children of the world. Red and yellow. Red and yellow, black and white, they are precious in his sight. Jesus has the little children of the world. There you go. <laughs> uh, that's a little bit. <laughs> yeah. Oh, beautiful. Yeah. But that's you know, that's Eric, my little girl, my little girl, girl Worthington, and she beautiful. sings quite a bit with me. How old is Worthington? She is eight. Oh, beautiful. It, yeah, uh, such a great age. It it's is like they, there's a, a a sense of uh, like a, a maturing mind, you know, while they're still like super playful as children, right. You know, <laughs> right? Really I know. Yeah. So we so we go out and you know we we ride bikes and play quite a bit, and then I have her. I've, I've been doing a lot of consulting work lately with mm -hmm. corporations, companies around diversity, equity, and inclusion. Mm -hmm. And, uh, and so they, so, so I always kind of have her pop in cause I integrate music heavily into that work as well. Mm, and, yeah. uh, and so as a surprise guest, I always bring her in to help me kind of demonstrate how, you know, really how you imprint these values on children, you know, because yeah. she could be listening to any kind of music, but like I teach her freedom songs. I teach her songs by Marvin Gaye and Stevie wonder and all these, mm -hmm. you know, all of these artists, these cultural activists and, and, and creative philosophers. And, uh, and that's how she learns. She learns that, you know, yeah. uh, you know, through, through that, through that medium. So, and, and, and folks are always surprised, uh, you know, when she, when she comes into the room and, and she, and she also kind of shares, uh, you know, I give her opportunity to share what those songs mean to her just to show, you know, you can start to imprint these things on your children mm -hmm. early as well, because see, this is the thing, these children that we're looking at right now, you know, mm -hmm. uh, as the song says, red and yellow, black and white, these, these are the children that end up growing up 
managing these corporations, sitting in mm -hmm. positions of leadership. And if they haven't really been engaged in thinking about these particular issues, you know, then when they're 45, 50 years old running this corporation and you say, well, hey, you know, our corporation is not diverse enough. We need to do something about you know, they're starting yeah, they, from scratch. They, right. They're stymied. They're like, yeah. Well, so, uh, so what, so what do you, you expect? You know, you haven't, yeah. <laughs> we haven't had a conversation with our children about this, yeah. you know, with our kids, you know, it's not in the schools. The only place that they can really have it is in the, is in the home. Yeah. Um, and, and, and then we expect them to be just, and we expect them to be equitable and we expect them to promote diversity when they haven't had a conversation about it all of their right. lives. They're mm -hmm. living in segregated communities, mm -hmm. uh, and, yeah. And, yeah. and, and, and have a very segregated cultural experience. So, yeah. Yeah. Eric, a couple of things on my mind. Well, one is uh, a couple of weeks ago in, in a presentation you gave, uh, you said something that really uh, touched me, which was that. The, the spirit doesn't descend without yeah. song. Yeah. And, uh, you know, I think about that a lot with, uh, in my professional life, you know, there's such a, a sort of a, uh, dearth of, <laughs> of any kind of like, uh, you know, it's almost like the humanity is drained out of us when we walk into the office, Ooh, you know, and, man. uh, and it's painful. Right. And, uh, so the power of using music as a way to get through some of these ideas that are, you know, it's hard to have an, just a straight up, you know, intellectual mind to mind. Uh, uh, you know, you can't have a change of heart talking to somebody's mind. Right, <laughs> right, right, and, right, 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 know? right, right. And, uh, you know, so th that really uh, touched me. Uh, so the other thing is I, I want to just tell you uh, how touching it is to, to have, you know, uh, an artist who uh, has performed all over the world and been on stage with, you know, whoever, Nelson Mandela, you know, and, and then, you know, sings for her daughter's, you know, Sunday school class or whatever, you know, it, it's beautiful. It's beautiful to, to see music that's so integrated into life instead of being, uh, sort of put into a box or a, on a pedestal, you know? Right. Right. Yeah. Well, I mean, you uh -huh. know what, man, that's, the, you know, that was a thing. I think, again, I attribute my growing up in Bakewell and in that incubator, man, because, mm. you know, my mom always told me, you know, and, and, you know, the message that I got from, from, from my folks about music is that, you know, son, make your music, you know, make sure your music is useful for the community. Mm. You know, it yeah. wasn't go out and be a star and make money from doing this and that, you know, it was always can, what, what can the community do with your music? Mm. Yeah. And uh, and so much of who I am, uh, you know, you know, we're we're taught this kind of rugged individualism in the in the United yeah. States, particularly, yeah. you know, as if we can actually live isolated from everything else around us. Like, it's just I mean, it's utterly impossible to do that. Uh, and right. so whatever experiences we have, um, you know, really go to shape who we are and who we who we will become. You know, and mm. I think that the test is to really become aware of how those things shape us and really take on our own agency in, okay, so now I know this is where I came from and these are the things that have manifested in me thus far. Now, how can I begin to shape those things myself? Yeah. Um, yeah. And uh, Eric, Eric, I want to yeah. ask you about, the, you know, your, your particular background is, is probably, um, 
unique among the, the folks that we've talked with uh, on the podcast so far in the sense that you, you sort of grew up immersed in your art. Um, and, and I don't know that you see it as a separate thing from your daily life, but they, right. do you have, you know, regular practices, daily practices, maybe like, how do you care for yourself, your voice, your, your, your creativity, are the things that you feel like you need to do or, or have in your life so that you can, you know, have the creative freedom to, to feel like, Hey, I'm going to write a new piece or, you know, I'm going to, yeah. you know, well, you go know, out there in front of a choir and direct them and, you know, like, what do you, how do you keep yourself in a place where you feel like, yeah, I can, I can do this, uh, yeah, creatively. Th- that's, you know, that, I think that for me that, that, you know, I always kind of have been hard on myself about not keeping a regular routine, mm. uh, as far as my music is concerned. Mm-hmm. Um, what I do on a consistent basis is that you know, I may not rehearse on a consistent basis, <laughs> but I am performing on a consistent basis. I mean, even since the pandemic, man, I think that I've been I think I've performed more <laughs> this year, um, you know, through these, you know, through Zoom and these different calls and and, uh, you know, in front of so many different people. And so mm-hmm. that that kind of helps me kind of stay current and keeps the the chops up uh but you know one of the things that i that i that i have consistently done is i you know i'm i'm constantly observing the world around me and studying and and uh you know and 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 trying to um keep myself in tune with the spirit of the age Mm, and uh, you know that's through my faith um you know, uh, I'm a, I'm a, I'm a, I've been a Baha'i for the last, uh, uh, quarter of a decade. I mean, quarter of a century, <laughs> Not a quarter of a decade, but quarter of a century. Uh, and, uh, you know, so that, that I, I, you know, I engage regularly with the, with the writings and teachings and prayers of the Baha'i faith. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm always reading about current events and, and uh trying to understand what's happening in the world uh you know so that my so that my content remains relevant and useful as my Mm -hmm. mom would always kind (laughs) of you know say you know what you know what what use is that music can can we use it and um and uh you know and then as far as like i guess developing greater proficiency with my instruments meaning my voice and my keyboard Mm -hmm. uh you know if you want to learn to sing you sing Mm -hmm. right right (laughs) if you want to learn to play better then you 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 seek out mentors and other folks and so i've never had really a consistent regiment of of like piano lessons and things like that. But the way I've learned to play is that I find artists that I like listening to Mm -hmm. and I learn to play their songs. You know, um, you know, I grew up learning how to play the piano, listening to Ray Charles, listening to Memphis Lim, listening to Nat King Cole and all these, all of my piano guys, listening to Billy Preston and Donny Hathaway Mm -hmm. and training my ear to hear what they were playing. And then, play it you know lick for right. lick, you know and um, okay. and i think that that's you know that's all that also comes from that black church model of really accompaniment and apprenticeship that's how you learn it 
like right. they, you know, that you learn under the gun. So when you're sitting at that <laughs> piano, like literally, if you're yeah, sitting yeah. at that piano, at that piano on Sunday morning, um, and grandmama comes in and she says, well, yeah, hey, uh, 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 you know, baby, I wrote this song on the way to church. <laughs> and, I, and uh, you know, I'm just going to start singing it. I want you to play. You learn how to play in every key. Yep. <laughs> you know, you learn how to play <laughs> under pressure. You learn, you know, you, 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 you kind of just take in this way of Being. playing that is yeah. in the moment. And it teaches mm -hmm. you immediacy you know because the thing is is that if the spirit is moving in a particular way you know as a as an artist that has grown up in a you know a, a very spirited uh black church experience uh -huh. you learn to 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 move when the spirit says move mm -hmm. so it's anyone who is who is acquainted with those cultural traditions you know, you, you'll, you'll know from that, that I'm not rare. Like that's, you know, I mean, I, I've, I've taken it and done a particular thing with my understanding of those traditions, but. Right. But you that know, is the tradition. The tradition is, is, yeah, is that, spontaneity and improvisational Yeah, it is like that. Skill. You know, that's, yeah. that's part of it. This is call yeah. and response. It's improvisation. It's, it's, it's immediacy and spontaneity. Mm. You know, that's what it is though. And those are, you know, I refer to those things as cultural values. Like there are cultural values that sit at the base of the, of that musical practice that mm -hmm. also will tell you a lot about the people that evolved them. Right. And, uh, and so, you know, my practice Oh man, you know, that's, I still carry those things over into my practice. So if I see, and like now is what was so great about, uh, you know, gospel and soul and blues is that you can go on YouTube now and see folks that have broken those traditions down and that can teach you certain things. Mm -hmm. And so like, I might find a piano player that I like and I, and I will, you know, I'll make a playlist of, like, I actually, I literally have a playlist of piano lessons. Mm. And so that's how I get my, my mentorship is I find these artists that I like, and I learn how to play these things. And, you know, the, the other thing about it is that there's this um, integration of things that, that also takes place is that you listen to these various artists and you just learn how to integrate them and evolve mm. your own style. Yeah. You yeah. know? Um, yeah, Eric, this yeah. is so fascinating to me because, uh, you know, my my family comes from the uh, classical, you know, what would be called the classical tradition, um, right. you know, uh, e e the art music from the European tradition. And, and right. the... the, the methodology could not be more antithetical, right? Right. The, the, the way that classical music has calcified, and this is, you know, great schools are, are getting over this, but, but mm -hmm. for the most part, the classical world is one in which you do not even have the right to think about performing until you're in the top 1%, you know, right. of, of all artists, you know, mm -hmm. and, and, uh, so it's not experiential. It's not immediate. It's, you know, it's, uh, okay. Right. Let's talk about how you need to study for 10 years before, you know, you're worthy. Right. And, right. Um, well, and, yeah. and, and, you know, you think about that because, you know, when I, when I, when I took this, uh, uh, you know, this, this, uh, started this PhD program at the university of Tasmania, Mm. You know, they gave me this. Uh, basically, you you got to walk through a particular gate, and that yeah. gate was not even on my <laughs> that well, that gate wasn't right. even on my radar. You know, because yeah. I didn't study the old 
dead yeah. white dudes. You know what I'm yeah. saying? <laughs> but this is the thing is that is that when I started to study music, you know, mm-hmm. the, of, of the people that, you know, folks consider to be the greats in the, uh-huh. in the classical uh-huh. realm, you realize that at the beginning, a lot of that music was improvisational. Mm-hmm. Yeah. J.S. You know, Bach, Mozart, yeah, Beethoven, yeah, they were all like at the yeah, time improvisational. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and, and so, and yeah. so they would, they would probably, you know, be like, why are you trying to freeze me in time like that yeah exactly you know they they, i totally agree yeah and and that's the thing is so so how do we how did we get to the point that we have gotten to even in classical music right where where you know your your worth is is really kind of gauged based on whether or not you can replicate what these folks have done yeah, Eric. You know, I'm gonna I'm gonna dive in here for a second because oh, this, please do. Yeah, don't jump so, in there. Uh, as I understand it, w- one of the things that epiphanies that I've had is that the calcification of the classical tradition has everything to do with the rise of nationalism and racism in the 19th century. So, Bruh. yeah, <laughs> yeah. So, hey, you know what? Let's let's just go on and get it. Let's get it. Let's get to it. <laughs> So, you know, there's this notion and and Wagner might be the poster child of this, but there's this notion of the supremacy of German, the German tradition. So Austrian music, Mozart, Beethoven, Haydn um, and and everybody before and after. Um, And then uh, and the uh, you know, even within Europe, there was this notion that German music was superior to French music and English music and Italian music. You know, it was more serious and more moral and more correct and more right. And and the rise and, you know, and of course, every nation had their own flavor of why theirs was superior. But the Germans really, really took it to the next level. And, you know, it really ties into disasters of the early 20th century. You know, all of this philosophical idea that there's that there's a racial component to like human greatness uh, really is tied in with this idea that we therefore we need to you know uh, lionize a certain period of German music and say this is this is the pinnacle of music this is the pinnacle of human achievement this is the best that can ever be right um, and and you know disaster ensues you know right from there well I mean I think I think that you're absolutely correct now when you think about what white supremacy is mm-hmm. white supremacy is a philosophy that says that everything that emanates from people who have been racialized as white mm-hmm. you know mm-hmm. because there is no one place that white people come from right. uh just like there is no one place that black and brown people come from you know europe mm-hmm. asia and africa is that's one landmass. so if you yep. wanted to you could walk from the tip of africa to china you could get mm-hmm. there by foot. And if you wanted to swim from Africa to Europe, it's 11 miles across the Straits of Gibraltar, right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So who's to say, well, you know, what belongs to who? You know, when right. we know that the Moors were in Spain for over 700 years, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and they were responsible for preserving, mm-hmm. you know, the yeah. um, you know ancient Greek and Roman text and all these different yep. things when the church, when the Western church was burning books. Mm-hmm. And killing people. Yep. Um, and, well, that's a great so, example because you know yeah. Spanish music in the in the classical tradition, Spanish music is sort of shoved aside as you know, right? Oh, uh, you know, they were obsessed with like stringed instruments and you know, lutes and right. guitars and whatever. It's sort of a side note 
Well, it is. And then and then and then when you think about also, you know, if you if you have groups of people that, uh, you know, uh, essentially, you know, came from the western coast of Africa, uh, Mm -hmm. northwestern coast of Africa into Europe Mm -hmm. and really brought light (laughs) to the dark ages, you know, to the dark ages. Um, And when you read histories of classical music, it's as if Islam and and Muslim uh, musical traditions had no, you know, had no influence on, on this, this art, you know, like when I read, clearly did, especially in Spain. Yeah. Right. Like to an extent in Italian uh, vocal tradition, you know? Yeah. You know, the only way that those things get erased is because we are living in a system that erases them, (laughs) that erases them, just totally erases the contributions and then exalts them, exalts one subset of the human family over the rest of us. Mm -hmm. Um, And that is totally not acceptable. Mm. You look across genres, you look at, um, you know, say black music and black people in country music. You know, yeah. like, I mean, the <laughs> right. banjo evolved from a West African instrument, right? Mm-hmm. So yep. so the, one of the primary staples of country music, the banjo, is a yep. West African instrument. So mm-hmm. how, how can you even come to the conclusion that Black people had no part in the evolution of, of that music when we even know that country music evolved from you know, uh, a lot of it kind of evolved from these, you know, black string bands that were traveling around the South and all over Texas, Tennessee. As recently as right now, you know, this year, anytime a black artist makes waves in the country music world, people are freaking out about it. Like it's this, yeah. I mean, like, uh, like, like like that music doesn't, (laughs) yeah. Like, like that, like that doesn't belong to us too. Right. 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 Uh, You know, when we, when, you know, yeah. and and that's the thing is that is that we have to figure out a way to kind of break out of this particular way of racially reasoning about things. Yeah. Uh, but also realize that how do you do that, but still acknowledge the fact that we we still live in a global racial hierarchy, you know, mm-hmm. because you can't yeah. you can't separate that that way of even uh a historical read of classical music from mm-hmm. colonialism and imperialism. Right. You know, it's, it's, you know, they're it's all mixed. Yeah. They're yeah. inextricable, you know, yeah. because if, 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 if a race is superior, then their cultural production is superior. Right. Right. Yeah. That, it's problematic. I don't know if you're familiar with like, uh, El Sistema in uh, Venezuela, or, uh, which has had incredible results. Oh yes. Oh yeah. 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 You know, um, uh, Dudamel, uh, who conducts the uh, Los Angeles Philharmonic, is right. uh, you know probably the most famous conductor in the world. He came out of that system, but it's interesting because they've created this brilliant sort of uh, system of training musicians. Right, but it's also they're embracing the the colonialist model, and it's just it's it's complicated, right? It's like, yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. Anyway, yeah. Well, okay, Eric, it's been such a delight to to spend oh, this yeah. hour with you. I do want to ask you, like, right? Uh, you know what what is your typical week looks like? You know how what is your oh, how what kind of life have you built for yourself, and and what are you working on? What are you trying to uh, get done in the next year or two? Man, well, you know this. Man, I, you know, this the whole kind of COVID pandemic thing has yeah. 
has really, you know, just like everybody modified. else, we get modified <laughs> and everybody has yeah. kind of had to retool. You know, I'm still involved mm-hmm. in writing music. Um, I was, I've, I've been a part of a, a, a composer in a musical that was developed by the Children's Theater Company around the story of a, of a slave that actually mailed himself to freedom with the help of a white <laughs> minister. Uh, his name was Henry Box Brown. True story? Yeah, true story. Uh, he he was uh, he he was he you know he he conspired with a uh, enlisted uh, a, a white minister to to uh-huh. help him mail himself out of slavery to freedom, mm-hmm. and uh, and so we have uh, been working on that, and uh, and now we're working on you know it was on tour won a, um, uh, you know, got critical acclaim at the Edinburgh Fringe Festival and, and oh, nice. uh, people are, be- people are beginning to take notice. And so we're evolving and moving that project ahead. And, you know, so there are a lot of things that are going on. I'm just right now, I'm just trying to figure out how to manage all of this stuff. You know, I actually mm. need a, I, I actually <laughs> need a new band member, you know, that, 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 that just does that. Helps yeah, me yeah. Manage you need these a, a relationships. assistant, personal assistant, or right? Something. Yeah. Right. It's time. I, th- I, th- <laughs> I think it's time. <laughs> I think so. I think so. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, Eric, thank you so much for all the work that you're doing, and it is the powerful uh, experience of interacting with your 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 music. And uh, um, yeah, yeah. I don't know. You you want to play us out? Yeah, man. I'll I'll play you out. So so uh, you know what? I will share. Let me share this one a little bit. A little bit of this one here. All right. So this one goes, and everybody knows this, so it goes. Uh, this land is your land. This land is my land. From California to the New York Islands. From the Redwood Forest to the Gulf Stream waters. This land was made for you and me. This land was made for you and me. Oh, this land was made for you and me. There you go. Thank you so much. All right. Well, I hope you have a wonderful week and I hope your work continues to go splendidly. Thank you, brother. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. And thank you for having me, man. This is, um, Oh, you're so welcome. Yeah. Lovely, lovely, lovely. (laughs) (laughs) All right. The 52 Sketches Podcast is a product of 52 Sketches, makers of earlywords.io, daily, private, stream of consciousness writing to clear your mind and unlock your creativity. Mm-hmm.